0: My title, I have more of a devotional thought for this morning than a full-blown sermon. Thank God, huh? (laughs) Uh, The title of my devotional thought is Eight Maids of Milking in the Mayan Last Days. Uh, Yeah, I know. (laughs) Today is uh, the first day of uh, the year 2012 in the uh, Gregorian calendar. The year 2012. And it's also the eighth day of Christmas. That's thus, eight maids a milking. It's like, that's just not a common sight in our day. I can picture women cleaning hotel rooms and what are they doing, milking. Um, eight maids a milking. Uh, on the eighth day of Christmas, this is the day that we remember and celebrate the dedication, or the naming and the dedication of Jesus Christ. Um, there's a lot of talk and there has been a lot of talk about the year 2012, uh, being the end of, I think it's the Mayan calendar, right? So, uh, the Mayan calendar comes to an end, I think on the winter solstice, is it? December 21st, 2012. So this is it folks. The, May- the Mayans are right. Um, all kinds of specials on history channel and on, uh, all, all- <laughs> All kinds of stuff. It's going to be fun to see that amp up this year. Um, so right now, it's like if you bought, like, lots of peanut butter and stuff and just stockpile it away, as we get closer to that day and supplies of that begin to shrink, you can break that out and sell it for triple the price. Um, it, I remember when uh, the year 2000 came and Y2K, right, Some of you guys will remember the Y2K bug, because everything, all the computers were going to crash, and everything was just going to fall apart. We, um, that New Year's Eve, Julie and I took a group of our students, and Tiffany was one of them uh, at the time. Uh, We went to Knott's Berry Farm, which is an amusement park in Southern California, and they have a, like a Christian night every, um, or at least they did, every New Year's Eve. I had students that their parents would not allow them to go because they had to hunker down and they boarded up their windows and stockpiled lots of food (laughs) and when y2k hit you know i don't know what i was doing having some cotton candy or funnel cake or something uh watching i think it was rebecca saint james on this balcony and uh i remember there was just a small group of us and i i uh uh said happy new Year to all of them we I just got a good laugh, and we had a great time together and there was less people out on the Southern California freeways because so many people were freaked out about it so it 's going to be interesting to see that amp up this year um, so uh I, I am personally not convinced uh that the you know the Mayan calendar and all that stuff i don 't i don 't necess- think the world's going to end December. Uh, 21st. Um, and sometime this year, I'll do a whole series on eschatology. Which is fancy talk for the last things, right? The end of days, the end of the world. For whatever reason, people are morbid and we like to think about that kind of stuff. So that'll be a, a fun uh, little sermon series, maybe next fall or something. And we can use it for outreach. It's weird how many people want to hear about that stuff. Um, but uh, you know, I I don't think you have any reason to freak out, but that's you know that's that's just me. So I don't think the world is going to end, um, but I am sure of this. God will be doing something in 2012. God will be up to something in 2012. God will be working in 2012. There is no doubt about that. The question isn't whether God will be up to something or working or not, the question is, will we recognize what God is doing and join him? That's the real question. That's the real question. If you've got a Bible, open up to Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to, there's going to be some overlap between uh, the scripture we're looking at this morning and one of the scriptures we already read. I'm going to pick up in verse 21, and I'm going to read to verse 40. And there's a lot of, um, there's a few things that are uh, Jewish tradition and ritual and law in here that I'm not going to take the time to explain today, but um, if you're curious, you can Google them or ask me later, and I'll explain it to you. But uh, just kind of beyond the scope of where I'm going with this this morning. Pick it up in verse 21 here, the word of the Lord. On the eighth day, when it was when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons, just as a note here a side note that 's the poor people 's offering you know if you were if you had more means, you would make a more substantial offering uh, to redeem uh, your firstborn son um, but this was uh this kind of shows us the economic state of Mary and Joseph and the family that Jesus was born into, picking up in verse twenty five Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what was the custom of the law, what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old and she had lived with her husband or she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Let's pray. Lord, today we, uh, we pause and remember and reflect upon the dedication of Jesus in the temple. Nearly 2,000 years ago. Something incredible was going on. And yet it seems most of the world didn't notice, didn't recognize. Lord, I wonder if I was there that day in the temple, would I realize the real significance of what was happening or would I just have seen the normal routine taking place? In my heart, I tend to think I I probably wouldn't have noticed very much. But Lord, Lord, for myself and for all in here this morning, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what your spirit is saying to us here now? Would you help us to understand what you are doing among us around us? Would you give me strength and help me as I as I, as I reflect on this passage for a few moments, Lord, reveal yourself. Make yourself heard, and known. know. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, we ask this. Amen. This is a interesting situation we got going on here. Um, according to the to the law, uh, those of you guys who studied the Torah with us, or who know um, the events of the of the Old Testament, the beginning of the Old Testament primarily in the book of Exodus, you'll remember that the Lord made a choice when he was freeing the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. There was something called the Passover that happened. And basically, uh, what happened is the Lord gave a judgment against Egypt. Um, And all of the firstborn among the Egyptians died in one night but the but Israel was spared and the Lord told them um, that they were to do this ritual sacrifice and place the blood of the of a lamb over their door and go inside and eat together and while they stayed inside the house this angel of death would pass over and would not harm them God made a choice that day and said Israel is my firstborn. If you, remember, if you know much about the term firstborn, it doesn't have a whole lot to do with order, um, the order of your birth. It has more to do with your inheritance, your inheritance and your, um, your status within family and society. The firstborn, uh, would receive a double share of the inheritance and would take over leadership, in a sense. Does that make sense? Uh, the technical word for it is primogeniture. Um, the firstborn is going to be, uh, is, is wealthier and is more powerful. That's that's a, a rough understanding of it. Well, God made a judgment against against Egypt and spared Israel, and said, "Israel is my firstborn. It was an interesting thing because Israel was the weaker of the two, was the enslaved of the two, was the impoverished of the two, and God clearly showed whose side he was on, and so, as part of the law um, whenever whenever babies were born uh, when the firstborn uh, came to an Israelite family from that point forward, the firstborn always belonged to the Lord. Always belonged to the Lord. And so, um, um, when, it, when it was the firstborn of their animals, they would take and sacrifice this firstborn. But obviously, you're not going to do that with your children. And so the Lord made means. He said, you will come and offer this sacrifice. And so that's what's happening uh, that you'll, you'll make this sacrifice, and that is you dedicating your firstborn to me. Does that make sense? And that's what's happening, that's what's happening with Jesus here. So this is routine. When, uh, when you have a baby, you bring them to the temple, and you're going to do this dedication. So that's, that's all routine. That's normal. You know, circumcising the baby on the eighth day and naming them, that's also routine and normal for uh, a Hebrew family. That was a sign and seal of the covenant that God made with Abraham, and so so what's happening in the life of Jesus here is he's he's being swept up into this this ongoing saga, this epic that God began, that God is not giving up on humanity, but is bringing humanity back to Himself, and so Jesus is a part of that, and and the people were ready for God to bring that, uh, make that happen. In its fullness, by this time in Israel's history, they were living under the thumb of Rome. Under the thumb of Rome, and people were tired of it. People were tired of being ripped off um, by their neighbors, being overtaxed. They were tired of living under the fear, uh, living living with the fear of violence and oppression. For years, they had put up with this, and they're waiting and waiting and waiting for God to show up. And and just like he saved them from Egypt, um, in in an incredible way, they were were longing for God to show up and save them again somehow. They're longing for a Messiah. I mean, and and this, this messianic hope, this desire is at a fever pitch at this time. And at the temple in Jerusalem, which is the center, uh, pretty much is the center of, of the Hebrew faith, in walks Mary and Joseph with a baby, with a child. I don't, I, you know, I don't think they were the only people at the temple that day. That's just my guess. The temple was was, uh, was a very large place. Lots of people would go there. I don't think they were the only people there that day. They may not have been the only people that were dedicating a child that day. So by all accounts, even though everybody, you know, they're longing and praying that God would save them, that God would show up That God would deliver them and rescue them. They're going about their business. The most incredible thing is happening. And I wonder how many people noticed. I wonder how many of them really understood the significance of what was happening right in front of them. Did they know? Did they notice? Or did they, like I so often do, just run through their routine and get done what they need to get done and and move on? In walks Mary and Joseph. I mean, do you see the significance of what was happening? God was answering the desires of their heart right then, in an incredible way, in an unexpected way. But I... I really do wonder, if I was there, would I have noticed? Would I have gotten it? What, what, what about you? What do you think? If you were there, would you would you have noticed? Would you've gotten it? As I've reflected on my own track record, I think a lot of times I, I don't get. it. But we see in the text there was at least two people in there. Who, for whatever reason and however, they got it, this old man named Simeon, who had waited and longed to see the kingdom of God come, wanted to see the Christ, and somehow some way God revealed to him that he wouldn't die before he saw the Lord's Christ. He comes and sees Jesus. And takes him up in his arms and begins to thank and praise God. How awesome is that, by the way? Not only did he get to see him, he got to hold him. I I'm I'm wonder what Mary and Joseph were thinking as this guy comes in. He's like, I'm taking your baby. You know, who knows what Simeon's role was there. But And then this, this prophetess, this old woman. Talk about the tragedy she experienced. Her name was Anna, and it's incredible that she was even there, really, because her, her family comes from a tribe of Asher. You may not know this, but Asher, uh, Israel, had a civil war early on in their history. I think three kings or, see Saul, David, Solomon. on the fourth king, four kings into their existence as a kingdom, they had a civil war. And ten northern tribes broke away, and they became Israel. And it was only Judah and Benjamin uh, and the Levites hung with them down in the south, and they became Judah. Uh, Asher was one of those ten northern tribes. And they got swept away um, in the 700s B.C. by the Assyrians, scattered to the wind, scattered to the wind. And later on, later on, it was um, uh, the southern kingdom of Judah that was exiled into Babylon. And it was the southern kingdom of Judah that returned from exile. It's interesting. Here is this woman, Anna. Not only has her family undergone tremendous, um, what a history. But early on in her life, she got married and had seven wonderful years with her husband. And he died. And then for the rest of her life, she lived as a widow and continuously prayed in the temple. And all of a sudden, who knows how it happened? She got it. She came in. And she began to speak about this child, Jesus. As I thought about that this week, I realized that God was at work. God was doing the most incredible thing, the most unthinkable thing. Who would have ever dreamed that God would do this? But on that day, what it looked, what it appeared to be, was normal. A normal baby. Normal poor parents. A normal ritual. A normal routine. A normal day at the temple. Everything looked normal. Everything looked pretty normal. And yet the most incredible thing was going on. And out of everybody who was there that day, the Bible tells us these two people really saw what was happening. Now they told everybody else about it, or everybody who wanted to listen. but god was god was working but it seemed only a few people recognized what he was doing and joined him only a few people and that was in the church basically in the temple in the temple itself on that day it's amazing then the high priest didn't get it apparently didn't if The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, God in the flesh was being presented in the temple that day. If anybody would have got it, can you imagine the, the multitudes of people that would have been cramming in? It should have been an incredible sight, an unbelievable spectacle. It should have got unbelievable press. But it didn't. Doesn't seem to have, does it? Just a couple of old crazy people. An old widow who didn't have a lot and prayed a lot. And an old guy who swore that God told him he was going to see the Christ before he died. If those people were among us today, you know, I wonder what we would think about them. Crazy old guy. Bless their hearts. They seem to be the only ones, besides maybe Mary and Joseph, maybe there was a few others, that on that day really got it. Really got it. God was at work, but only a few recognized what He was doing and joined Him. A few, uh, a few years ago, when I was a youth pastor, we there's this place in California called Baker's. Anybody know? It's like a fast food restaurant. Baker's was awesome because they had a dollar meal. A dollar meal. You get a burger, fries, and a small Coke for a dollar. I'm telling you there's nothing better on a Friday night after going out doing whatever we did back then than a Baker's dollar meal. Well, when I was a youth pastor, we were on our way somewhere, and we dropped by Baker's. And, you know, you guys you guys know me. I'm a pretty, pretty random guy most of the time. I'm sitting, I'm sitting there, and we have this girl with us named Lisa. Lisa is a typical, like, when you think of, like, the stereotype for blondes, that was Lisa. Totally. Like, you could drown her by putting a scratch-and-sniff sticker on the bottom of a pool. She, I love her, but she was just, that's Lisa. And so we were sitting at Baker's, and I looked at Lisa, and I know this is totally politically incorrect. I know it's awful, and so I repent and apologize to you in advance. But I looked at Lisa, and I said, Lisa, how long is a Chinese man's name? And she said, I don't know. And I said, no. How long is a Chinese man's name? She said, I don't know. I said, Lisa, listen to me. How long is a Chinese man's name? She goes, How would I possibly know that? I don't know. I'm like, Lisa, I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. How long is a Chinese man's name? And she goes, I don't know! I don't know! I said, I'm not telling I'm not asking you, I'm telling you, how long is a Chinese man's name? And she's like, I, I don't know, I just don't know. For what seemed like hours, I sat there and kept saying, no, how long is his name? The Chinese man's name is how long? And she goes, like, I don't know, Steve. I just don't know. And everybody around her is trying to help her at this point. How long is his name? His name is how long? How long is a Chinese man's name? And she and she goes, I don't know. I just I mean I don't I have no idea how we ever got her to get it i mean tiffany do you remember julie because how many ways can you say that it's like no lisa no it's not a question it's a statement how long is his name i don't know i mean how many i'm telling you lisa i'm not i'm telling you how long is his name his name is how long Like, his mom and dad named him how long? I don't know! How long is his name? And then all of a sudden, the joke's on me because we can't get her to get it. And then finally, out of nowhere, she's like, oh, how long is his name? Like, his name is how long? And we're like, yeah! And she goes, but I don't know. (laughs) It's like, how many ways can you, you know, it's like, Sometimes the answer is right there. I mean, it's not a question, it's a statement, it's right there, but it's funny because nothing we could do could get Lisa to get it until something happened and she got it, you know what I mean? I wonder how, I wonder how many times God is like that with us. You know, it's like God's telling us, how long It's a Chinese man's name? God is, is communicating to us and speaking to us and, He's not asking us. He's showing us and telling us that it's right there in front of our face. And I, I wonder how often I'm like, but I don't know, God. I don't know how long it is. You know what I mean? It's like there that day on the temple at the temple. It's like God saying, how long is a Chinese man's name? And everybody's like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. The answer is right in front, but it's right in front of our face. And for whatever reason, we still just don't get it. I don't think much has changed since that day and today, even in the church. How can we become people that become people like Simeon and Anna? People that God confides in. People that hear what God is saying. People that can see what God is doing, people that join God in what He is up to. Oh, well, obviously, for these these guys, um, they were both people of prayer. That was obvious. Um, I want to be one of those kind of people, don't you? I don't want to be a person that misses it. I don't want to miss God in twenty twelve. The world will probably not end December 21st, 2012. But God will be up to something all year long. He'll be up to something in your family, on your job. He'll be up to something in this church, in this community. God will be up to stuff. He's already up to stuff. And what's crazy is it will probably look normal most of the time. I mean, if I keep Just plowing through my routine and waiting for God to show up in the supernatural, spectacular, sensational, I could miss him. Because some of the stuff he does looks so ordinary and yet it's so extraordinary. And I want to be the kind of person that gets it. Don't you? Um, shameless plug, but that, that course we're doing, Experiencing God, that's what, that's what we'll be talking about. How can we become the kind of people that know and do the will of God in our lives? I encourage you to be a part of that if you can, at all. In 2012, God's going to be up to some things. There's no question about that. The question is, will we recognize it and will we join in in what he's doing? And I believe that God is inviting us all. He's inviting us all to join in what he is up to this year.